You know, having the baby dedications perhaps makes some of us who've dedicated our kids when they were little go back in our memory and uh, review and rethink about what that was like. Anybody think about that today when you dedicated your kids? Seen these? Yeah, I did. We dedicated all three of our kids and, and um, our youngest has been on my mind and how we dedicated her to the Lord in recent weeks. Our youngest is Megan. She's 23 years old. This is not her at 23, but this is her at a much younger age. Um, this is Megan, and um, about a, she's about a year old here. And we had the opportunity two weeks ago today in the evening to see her uh, make a commitment in marriage to a wonderful young man named Wesley Krieger. And so we now have a son-in-law in our house, or in our family, I should say, not in our house. They have their own place, which is great. And... Uh, uh, so I was out these last three weeks because uh, I took the weekend before, the weekend after, the weekend of, and took a couple weeks out of the office on vacation and uh, just to celebrate this time together. This is our family together um, with the couple. So uh, John and Katie and Megan and her husband Wes and then Leslie and me. And then this is the Krieger family along with the Thornton family. It's Wes and his mom and dad and his brothers and uh, We've gotten to know the Kriegers really well. A number of you know them. They're part of Calvary. They've been in the community and have a number of relationships uh, here. Uh, they've raised their kids here in the T.O. area. And uh, just a, a wonderful, wonderful day. Now, we were unable, just, just relatively so, we kept, they kept the wedding very small. So there were a lot of people that were not invited. And there are a lot of people in the 15 years or so we've been here that have poured themselves into Megan's life. And so... We had decided, since we knew it was going to be relatively small and there were a lot of folks that would uh, perhaps want to just drop in and say hello and congratulate the couple, we decided just to host a reception here this next Saturday morning from 10 to noon in the high school room. Uh, no gifts are expected. If you want to bring uh, whatever your favorite verse is, there'll be a Bible you can highlight that in. You can leave a tip for the couple in a tip jar or bring a recipe, but no gifts are expected at all. This is just a time to include others who have impacted our lives as a family and the lives of the Kriegers. And so I know Wes and Megan will be delighted if you come. This is an invitation to anyone and everyone who knows either of our families and would like to stop by in this open house reception uh, next Saturday morning. Now, I had the privilege of walking Megan down the aisle with Leslie, and then I flipped to the other side and became the officiant. And so it was a great experience. It was a wonderful day. Uh, they made a commitment before the Lord. Both of them loved the Lord and, and are pursuing a relationship with him together. And so that just blesses us as parents. I know I'm speaking for Leslie and Matt and Lori Krieger. You know, when you go through the vows, you get to that place where you're talking about for better or for worse. And whether it's your wedding day or it's the day you start a new job or you move into a new house or you've got a new baby or something has changed, you reach a milestone in life, we have so much optimism and we look forward, but we also recognize that we'll go through some challenges in those new settings. And there'll be times when we don't feel okay. And we've been talking now, this is the eighth week in our series, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay not to be okay. We've dealt with things like anxiety and, and resentment and just general emotional turbulence in our lives while I was away. These last three weekends, Pastor Brian Howard did a great job covering topics of addiction and anger and depression and I was blessed and ministered to. Aren't you glad that we have a voice like Brian on our team? who can open the Word of God so clearly and challenge us. I'm so thankful for him. 
And so for some of you, those different messages may have spoken to you about something in your own life or maybe something in the life of a loved one you have or something going on in your family. And I know in a room this size, there are some who right now at one of those best moments of life and things are going great, you're on the mountaintop. But I also know there are people who are at one of those moments that we say in the vows, for better, for worse, and you feel like right now your marriage, your family, your health, the health of someone else, your finances, you feel anxious, you feel overwhelmed, you feel like the waves of the storms of life are just crashing into you and kind of feel like you're coming up for the third time. I want to conclude this series by talking about why it's okay to not be okay. We'll be looking at several Psalms as we've been looking at Psalms, the expression of the psalmist's heart to God when he didn't feel okay, when life was complex, when he was going under the waves of the storm. And if you fail to remember anything from this message, here's what I want you to take away today, and it's this. It's okay not to be okay because God loves you as you are. In your anxiety, in your anger, in your doubt, in your fear, in your worry, In your resentment, he loves you as you are, but he loves you far too much to leave you that way. He has a plan to meet you in that moment, to meet you in those circumstances, to meet you in your life as it feels out of sync and it's not okay. He wants to meet you and bring you peace and joy as you continue through perhaps the storm and what might be considered a worse moment in your life. Someone has said it this way, God loves you more in a moment than anyone could in a lifetime. That's so true. I want us to see today our relationship as human beings to the God of the universe. And I want to give you four kind of movements in the course of human history in relationship to God. And these four have been identified by a number of Bible scholars and pastors, and it gives us an understanding of our dance, our relationship, our walk with God as human beings. The first one is creation, creation. This is the first stage of our relationship with God as human beings, creation. It answers the question, where did everything come from? Where did all this come from? Well, if you open your Bible and you just turn to Genesis 1, the first book of the Bible, the first chapter in the Bible, go to Genesis 1, 1, the first verse in the Bible, we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And after creating everything that was made, even creating man in his own image, God steps back and at the end of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, we read, God saw all he had made, and it was very good. It was beautiful. It was perfect. He put Adam and Eve in the garden where they could thrive and flourish in a relationship with him. They were whole and good and perfect. And God said, there's one tree you cannot eat of. You can eat of everything else. You can experience everything else, but this is forbidden for you. They were tempted by Satan and ate of the tree, and things changed. But everything that exists anywhere in the universe was created by God. Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. If you have your Bible, open it to Psalm, Psalm 95. We're gonna look at verses three through five of Psalm 95. You can go there in your mobile device. We'll be looking at four different Psalms as we look at these four movements in human history and 
humanity's relationship with God. Psalm 95, verse 3, For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. The psalmist, many times throughout the psalms, gives praise and exalts the God who has made us our creator. You see, God created everything, and everything was good. He made man in his own image and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He provided us intimacy with himself. We have intimacy with God. We have a relationship because he is our creator. He gave us purpose. We're not just bouncing around in the universe as some random set of cells. We have purpose and meaning. The short form of the Westminster Catechism, I think, communicates this very clearly. We're here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He gave us purpose and meaning in our existence and in creation, he made us accountable to him. We are accountable to God. He gave Adam and Eve the stewardship of all creation, of their lives and of their children to come, and we have a stewardship for all the things in our lives. And one day the scripture says, when we all die, it's appointed unto every human being to die. And after that, there is judgment, accountability to God. But God created everything and everything was good. And in terms of my relationship with God, he designed me to have a relationship with him. He designed me to live out the purpose he created me for. And one day he's gonna hold me accountable. Here's the bottom line when it comes to our relationship with God as human beings in terms of creation. God loves you as your creator. Your creator loves you. No matter if you're on that mountain peak right now, you're at the best of life, or you're at that deep valley, or maybe you're in that dark storm and the waves are crashing against you and you feel like you're about to be overwhelmed, the creator of the universe, the one who made you, loves you. He loves you. But there's a second stage to man's relationship with God. It's simply the fall, the fall. It answers the question, what went wrong? We read in Genesis 3 about Adam and Eve's sin and how God had told them that condemnation would come upon them and all of creation if they disobeyed him in that one area and ate of that tree. And they did, and so then God curses all of creation. It's all groaning now. As beautiful as the creation around us is, it is marred. It's broken. And then Adam and Eve had the curse of death which not only meant physical death, but eternal death and eternal separation from God in a place called hell for all eternity. Condemnation came upon them. They were cast and cut off from the holy presence of God because of their sin. As a matter of fact, we read at the end of Genesis 3, verses 23 and 24, that God put an angel as he cast them from the garden from his presence, an angel with a fiery sword to keep them from his presence because of their sin. We read in Psalm 36, again, if you're there in your Bible, turn to Psalm 36. In the first four verses of this psalm, the psalmist kind of describes the human condition. Psalm 36, one, an oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. Even on his bed he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. Prophet Jeremiah would put it this way, the human heart is 
desperately wicked. Who could ever fathom it? What went wrong? Adam and Eve disobeyed God and everything fell under condemnation, under the curse. You can read about that in Genesis chapter three. What does that mean that everything fell under the curse? Well, right now, Sean, as I stand here before you, I am a broken person living in a broken world with other broken people. I'm broken. I fail. I make mistakes, misjudgments. I sin. The world is broken. We have rats and mosquitoes and thorns and disease and cancer. And before you think you're off the hook, the people I live on this planet with are broken too. You're broken. You make mistakes. You make errors. You have misjudgments. You sin. We are all broken people living in a broken world with other broken people. A couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was sitting talking with... Uh, and we were just gathered around just talking about stuff and I was talking about how my wife has gotten to this point now while I'm driving where she hits the brake on the other side while she's the passenger and she will tell me to slow down or back off of a car or I'm going to this or I'm going to that or I should have this and I don't know if this is just because we're aging she didn't used to do this I've always been a good driver so when she does that I always say I have been driving now for 40 years and in my 40 years with a driver's license, neither as a passenger or as a driver have I ever been in an accident, not even a fender bender, not even someone that I scratched or they scratched my car. And so I use that all the time with my wife. I was telling these folks, she's gotten to this point, but I was bragging to them about how I've never been in a car accident. And then three days later, four days before the wedding, I was sitting at a light where I had to yield to oncoming traffic and I didn't see a car and I turned right in front of it. And so I ended up with a crash that I caused. I got out right away and said it was my fault. Bad judgment on my, my part, my mistake. And the car that's in the center there is the car I was driving and it flipped around 360 degrees. Thankfully, everyone walked away and no one was seriously hurt. But the car, the car itself, that little Kia, as you look at it more close up, you can see that this car is totaled. It's done. It's smashed. It's finished. And this car was my daughter Megan's car. I was just putting, going to put air in the tires, and my dad was with me. He was here for the wedding. And so I went home no longer able to say that I had never been in an accident in any way for those 40 years. And then last week, we were driving down to Orange County on Interstate 5 last weekend. Ten days after that accident, my first accident ever in my life in any way, we're sitting on the 5 and stop traffic and we're just chatting, the traffic isn't going anywhere, and someone all of a sudden hits us from behind. Never had an accident in 40 years. In two weeks, I had one I caused and one another person caused. That's just a part of living in a broken, fallen world that is marred because of sin. What does that mean then in terms of my relationship to God, to others, to this world? Well, one, I need to have a repentant attitude toward God. 
Because since Adam and Eve sinned, every human being is born marred by sin. We're all sinners separated from God. We're all born with our backs to God. And we can do nothing to save ourselves. But we need to have a repentance toward God to be his child. And then when we sin as his kids, we need to have a spirit of repentance where we turn from the sin and we turn back again to the Savior. But I also need to have forgiveness and grace that I extend to others in my life. I don't hold on to the bitterness. I don't hold on to those things. And I extend forgiveness and grace because they too are broken. I'm broken. I'm broken before God. But then I need patience in life to deal with things like hurricanes and COVID and other stuff in this broken, fallen world. What's the bottom line when it comes to our relationship to God as a result of the fall? It's this, God loves you no matter how you feel, no matter how you feel as a broken person among other broken people in this broken, groaning world. Sometimes it is for the better. We, we feel really good and we're on a mountain peak and we can thank God for those moments. I kind of think this owl represents that kind of perspective. Stately and strong, right? This is this owl at his very best. Maybe some of you feel that way today. You feel pretty strong, like I felt telling my friends, 40 years and I haven't, you know the old verse, let him who thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. But this owl looks at his best, right? But look at this owl after it goes through a storm. This is the same owl. <laughs> Anybody feel like that this morning more than you feel like the first picture? It's okay not to be okay because God loves you no matter how you feel. I had one husband come up to me last night after the Saturday night service and said, you know, my wife said she'd like to get a copy of each of those pictures of the owl and she'd like to post one in our bathroom each morning to tell me which version of herself I'm gonna deal with today. <laughs> but maybe there's some stuff going on in your family and your finances at your job, things going on in your life that makes you feel like that owl. God loves you in that moment. We live in a broken world. Can I, I just am gonna give you, these aren't in the take note and we'll post these on our social media, Facebook and stuff uh, later today, but I wanna give you four ways to flourish in a broken world, to help you deal with the, the people who are fallen and struggling, make mistakes and sin who are around you, to deal with your own mistakes and failures and sin, to deal with the, the brokenness of this world that is groaning, even the evil in this world and all that's going on. How do we flourish without ending up looking like or feeling like that second version of the owl? Four ways to flourish in a broken world. Number one, limit the flow of burdensome input into your life. Maybe you need to turn off some of the breaking news notifications. Maybe you need to stop reading all those emails that tell you how bad the world is today, how bad the U.S. is. Now, there are bad things in this world. There are bad things in the U.S. There's some really scary stuff out there. There's some evil stuff out there. But some of us are taking all that in and we're just getting more angry and more churned up and, and we're being robbed of our peace and our joy because we're not limiting social media. I remember when I was a kid, you'd listen to the radio and at the top of the hour, they'd have a couple minutes of news and 
Then there were three networks, and you'd catch like Walter Cronkite at 6.30, and, and you got the news just in little doses. Now we've got so many cable channels and so many news channels, and then you, the internet came along, and we could check the news anytime, and then we got apps on our phones, we got social media, and, and so now there is this, this burden. Researchers are saying, in our generation, we face sometimes hundreds, if not thousands of times more burdens in terms of the variety of burdens. We can hear about a flood there and a disaster there, and we don't want to be insensitive, but for some of us, we need to cut off some of that input. For my first 20 to 25 years out of high school, I didn't know what was going on with the majority of the people I went to high school with. Now, many of them I'm connected with on social media, and and I can find out if they're struggling, if they've gone through a death in their family, which again, it's not wrong for me to know those things. But we have so many points of burdens coming into our lives that many of us are being overwhelmed. And one way we need to deal with that is cut out, turn off the notifications. Don't go to Facebook more than once or twice a day. I've been trying to go there maybe once or twice a week because there's so much noise and so many burdens and that's gonna help you feel the weight of this world Secondly, surround yourself with people who will feed your soul, not just stir up your anger. Most of us are just listening to voices that stir up our anger. We need to find voices that are gonna speak into our lives, health for our well-being, the things of God, be encouragers and build our souls that we can feed our souls. Surround yourself with people who feed your soul. Thirdly, find ways to cultivate laughter in your life. Anybody remember how the Dick Van Dyke show started out? As he entered, what happened? Tripped over the ottoman. We all laughed. We weren't laughing at him. We were laughing with him because that's common in humanity. And we need to find ways to laugh at ourselves and our humanity and our brokenness. I don't mean we don't take it seriously. We need to take sin seriously and repent of it and call others to repent of it. But we need to understand that all the burdens that we take on through all these places of input, we need to be able to laugh. I often end the day watching a couple of old sitcoms. Some shows that some of you have never even heard about because they didn't make it very long, but they make me laugh. Find ways to laugh amidst the brokenness. Fourth, look for practical ways to serve and encourage others. Wake up each day and say, how can I serve and encourage my wife? How can I serve and encourage my kids? How can I serve and encourage my coworkers, my neighbors? What can I do to pour into their lives? These are ways in which, these four ways are ways in which you can, you can thrive and flourish better and be open to the Spirit of God working in your life and be better available and ready for people of God to speak into your life, your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's creation. God created everything and everything was good. There's the fall. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and everything fell under condemnation. Thirdly, there's redemption. How can we have hope? How can we have hope in this world? Look at Psalm 130. Psalm 130, you can go there again in your Bible or on your mobile device, your Bible app. Psalm 130, verses one through four. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive. For hear, hear my cry for mercy. And some of you are feeling that way. You're not feeling okay and you're crying out for the Lord. They says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand against you? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. There is forgiveness and love and mercy you offer. Hear my cry for mercy, the psalmist says. 
Ephesians 1 tells us that before the foundation of the world, God planned to send us a redeemer. Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were still sinners, before we could ever try to clean ourselves up and we cannot clean ourselves up, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love so much to us that while we were still guilty in our sin before a holy God, our backs were turned to him. Jesus died for us and was raised for us. Redemption, how can we have hope? God sent his son and the curse was destroyed. The earth shook when Jesus died. The earth shook when Jesus was raised. He provided the way for us to be redeemed now and forever. Romans 8 gives the great story of how this has already taken place and yet it's not completely fulfilled but will be one day. All of creation now has hope. Romans 8, 20 to 22 describes how all of creation is groaning. All the things that we see just about the world and it's groaning, it's all aching, but it says it's waiting for the day when final redemption comes, when Jesus comes to make all things right. Even creation now has hope because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And every person can have hope. Every person can have hope. The first verse of Romans 8, this great chapter about our redemption and how it affects us today, but it ultimately affects us for all eternity. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, if you put your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection to make you right with God, to give you forgiveness, you were born with your back to God, and when you say, God, I need you, and you put your faith in his son as you repent and turn toward God and away from your sin and your self-righteousness, you turn to him then the condemnation that's been hovering over you since birth is removed now and forever because of the redemption provided in Jesus. And if you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Christ, that condemnation is still hovering over you and will follow you into an eternity of condemnation. But God loves you. He sent Jesus for you. So you could have a whole relationship with God as God originally intended before sin interrupted everything and condemnation was hovering over you. Put your faith in Jesus today and that condemnation will be removed. Can I encourage you right where you sit just to put your faith in Christ? Talk to him, tell him, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I was born with my back to you, but I put my faith in your son, Jesus. And I turn toward you in Christ. In that moment, that condemnation is removed. You are set free by the grace of God in the love of Christ. If I can help you, I'll be in the lobby. Our care and prayer partners are down here in the front after the service. They can help you. If you're joining us online or in the room and you'd like to have someone follow up with you this week and you want to talk about this further, want to celebrate with you or answer some questions, just text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen. Just text the name Jesus as the subject of the message to that number and we'll get right back with you with some resources to help you know what it means to know Jesus as your Savior, to have a relationship with him, to have that condemnation removed, and we'll follow up with you this week. Make sure you know Jesus. You know that condemnation has been removed. All of creation has hope because of Jesus. Every person can have hope now and forever because of Jesus. Here's the bottom line. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus for you. For you. 
When Jesus died, you were on his mind. He died for you, he died for me. Augustine said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. God loves you as if there was only one of you. Maybe you felt disconnected because of the circumstances. Maybe your circumstances have left you feeling like that, that second owl photo. And in that brokenness and pain and that situation where you're not okay, you've been so hungry as the psalmist cried out for the love of God, the mercy and grace of God in your life. A great reminder of that is the Lord's Supper communion. The elements of communion are available again in our prayer chapel, which is right outside these doors and across the hallway from where the Christian flag sits over here. We'll have some team members there who share the elements of communion with you. The bread and the cup remind us that Jesus came for us in bodily form. He paid the price for us in his own blood. Go there after the service and just receive that. Folks will pray with you. But if you need to be reminded of God's love for you, no matter what you're going through or how you feel, go and receive the elements of communion and be reminded of God's love and grace in your life. See, we relate to God as human beings because he created us and he loves us. But sin entered in with the fall and we were cut off from God, but then God sent Jesus to be the redeemer for us, to destroy the curse and the condemnation, to remove it from our accounts. Fourthly, the fourth, fourth movement in our relationship with God to help us understand why it's okay not to be okay is restoration. Where is everything going? Here's the question, where is everything going? Psalm 99, if you turn there, Psalm 99, verses one through five. Let the, or excuse me, the Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great name, great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob, you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And we're told one day he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And then those who are his followers will be a part of a new heavens and a new earth. He'll be king of kings and lord of lords for all eternity and he will make all things new with a new heavens and a new earth. Revelation 21, four and five from the New Living Translation says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All things are gone, these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. God loves you. And he gives us the promise in scripture that one day everything will be made right by Jesus ultimately. But we're even told He's already beginning that process in us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. It, it's already beginning in us. Where is everything going? God has made, is making, and will make all things new. Ultimately, it would all be made new and right. Every tear will be wiped away. Every disease will be gone. Every sorrow will be removed. There'll be no more death, no more pain. And right now, he's making me new as his child as I walk with him. 
Here's some key points to experiencing that newness God wants for us, whether we're at the best of times or the worst of times. We've got to walk with God, open God's word, talk to God in prayer, make our relationship with God a priority in our lives, even when we don't feel like it. We walk with God. Secondly, we engage with God's family. That's why we're here to worship together, to build each other up, to encourage each other in corporate worship. Then we have ministry teams and small groups and Bible studies and prayer groups that get together to pour into each other's lives, to feed each other's souls, to build each other up in Jesus. This week I received a sweet email from a single mom, young single mom of a young middle schooler. Her name is Tiffany and her husband died five years ago of leukemia. Single mom raising a middle school boy named Jeremy. I want you to hear the email she wrote me this week and what a reminder how important worship is and God's family is. After every service on Sunday, I get Jeremy and we make our way to you, Pastor Sean, but just like us wanting to talk to you, everyone else does. I think you need a ticket counter where you pull a number like at the deli shop. <laughs> Jeremy's team won the championship game, attached is a picture of his happy face with his championship ring. I just wanted to share with you the greatness of God and how happy I am that I'm back at church this year. Jeremy just got back from middle school ministry camp and he had a great time. He's at middle school summer nights right now. That was this last Tuesday when she was writing. I had scheduled surgery on July 7th in which they basically break your pelvis in a few spots and realign it. It's something I really needed to have done and took months of planning. I was so anxious because I start a new job in the middle of August but knew God would figure it out. After my surgery, I had deep vein thrombrosis that went unnoticed for several days. I was in so much pain. One night my mom was staying with me to help me with my hip and I just started crying in misery. I played the song and cried along to the song, Same God. I specifically remember being at church when the worship leader said, we're gonna sing a new song. I loved the song immediately. I was so drawn to it, it touched my heart and I was immediately, it was immediately added to my playlist. I felt the Lord at that very moment with me, hearing my cries. I went to ICU for a few days because my pain was so bad and had to have a few surgeries for the massive clots I had. The blessing in disguise is Jeremy was at church middle school camp when this happened. I'm now home, and my heart is filled with gratitude. I'm so thankful to be alive. I just wanted to share that moment of how the songs at church are not just songs, but medicine for the soul and power for when we cry to the Lord. I won't be able to be in church in person, but I'll be streaming online. It's definitely not the same, and I can't wait to be back in person when I'm healed. Well, Tiffany, uh, we just want you to get better and we understand joining us online. May God bless you and give you strength. She writes, I'm so thankful to be a part of Calvary. I hope you're having a great week and I hope to see you at the deli counter soon. <laughs> Here's a young mom who finds her soul nourished when she gathers with her church community. And some people view church like a consumer. What am I gonna get out of it? We need to view our church experience when we engage with the family of God as contributors. How do we pour in? How do we sing from our hearts? How do we bless other people who've come and their lives are at this place where they're not okay? We need to walk with God. We need to engage with God's family. We need to become like Jesus. As we become like Jesus, we live in love like Jesus, he transforms our thinking, our character, our behavior, our attitudes. 
And as we live and love like Jesus, then we shine as his kingdom in this world. We can't expect this world to live by his kingdom values until we're shining with those kingdom values ourselves. We are that demonstration of his light in our lives as we live in this world. We need to become like Jesus and live and love like Jesus. And then we need to bring others to Christ. See, the whole goal of why God has left us here is so we can make disciples, invite others to follow Jesus in the worst times of life and the best times of life, they can follow Jesus with us. Our lives should be so attractive that others say, wait a minute, there's something different, something unique about them. It's different than any other group of people, and they're drawn to it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their belief in God. I like that. Does your life, are you living in such a way that others question their disbelief in God because your God is so real and vibrant in your life, even in the worst of times? Bottom line, God loves you and wants to walk with you when life overwhelms you. Even when life is crumbling around you, he wants to walk with you. As I mentioned before, the thing I hope you remember from this message is it's okay not to be okay because God loves you as you are. He created you. He knows you're broken. He sent Jesus to save you out of love, and he wants to walk with you, not just at the best of times, but in the worst of times. And sometimes he lets us go through the storm so we can walk by faith, even as Peter did, walking toward Jesus on the water. But the storm can overwhelm us if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus. God loves you and wants to walk with you when life overwhelms you, when you don't feel okay.